0: This is Road to Revival, a journey guided by the gospel to welcome the next spiritual great awakening of our time with your host, Wes Roth. What on earth does it mean to be crucified with Christ? I got to be honest, as a kid, uh, even up to my in my early 20s, I am far removed from my early 20s. I thank God for that every day. But as a younger man and as a kid, when I would come to church and I would hear somebody talk about being crucified with Christ, to be quite honest, I was prepared to hear things I didn't want to hear, didn't like hearing, and then I was prepared also to be bored out of my mind. I heard some good sermons on it, some bad ones. I look back now, and after God has dealt with me the way He did, the way He has. Uh, my opinion on what it means to be crucified with Christ has changed. I'd like to explain. We have all found different times and moments in our lives where we find ourselves, even our very lives, being completely interrupted by God. Our professions might change. Perhaps we suffer a tragedy. Perhaps Perhaps we have a joy, something wonderful that happens to us. There are a lot of interruptions. These moments are often full of grace and justice and mercy, even if we don't always see it. To me, that is without doubt or question. A big part of the act of being a Christian is to provide a testimony or a witness to the truth of God revealed in our lives and in the text and records of Scripture. And I say that it's going to be revealed in our lives and in the text because whatever we experience on some level, will be echoed with those of those believers, those people, those those champions of faith who went before us long ago, who are blazing the pathways that we are now following. So when I talk about getting faith from God, for example, I'm not merely talking about intellectual assent. That's simply belief. When I talk about getting faith from God, I'm specifically speaking that I needed faith, God gave it to me, and when he did, I discovered that my experience lines up with scripture which is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And when he gave me faith, I thought, goodness gracious, to describe it as the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen, I to me, it seemed like I had never read anything more beautiful. What has continued to amaze me, though, through the course of life and living, is that my testimony reflects, like I said, what's what's been done before. A lot of people would blithely dismiss dismiss this. They would say, of course it lines up. The Bible's true. And while that may be the case, to, to just simply summarily dismiss testimony, as some have done, is to reveal that if they do not have the wonder and amazement inherent that they are indeed bearing witness to what has been revealed, then it's possible that they do not know it like they think that they do. It is like the idea that some thinkers have posited for years, that being if we cannot be amazed at the sublimity of the simple things, then perhaps we are not seeing them properly, and I'd agree with that. For example, I have called myself a Christian since the day I asked Jesus Christ, as a six-year-old boy, to come in and inhabit my life. I meant what I said. I said it with earnestness. It took time for me to grow into what that meant, and there came a time in my life where I realized that I had given myself over to simple agreement with a given set of biblical principles, and that was belief, but it wasn't faith, and it is faith that saves us. I distinctly remember a day on my back porch years ago where I had a Bible open in front of me, several books stacked next to me, my computer out, and I was just enjoying the day. And I'll never forget that God spoke into my heart and said, you have fought the inner agnostic and the inner atheist inside of yourself, and you've won. It was at precisely that moment that faith came into my life in a way that it never had before, and I marveled at it. It, w- it lined up exactly with what I saw in the text of Scripture. But for me, the powerful thing for this, in my mind, was that this became part of my testimony. My testimony has become that God gave me faith. I didn't contrive it. It didn't replace my belief. But it did provide a supernatural foundation for my belief. And just like faith should, it has sustained me and it sustains me. I've told family members before that during the many dark times I've had, when I discovered that I could not reach out to God, my faith sustained me. When I'd lost hope, as I have many times, my faith has somehow sustained me. And I discovered that my faith was growing despite my mistakes and despite myself, as if it was a plant that the Holy Spirit put inside of me and it grows on its own. And I don't do anything to add to it. It just grows. To me, this is remarkable. What I've discovered about following Christ is this. That contrary to what I was often taught as a child in various and well-meaning churches, I made the mistake of believing some things that were not true about Christ and His character. Much like the way I discovered what my faith is and was, and that my prior understanding was blown out of the water, it had to be. My understanding of being crucified with Christ and what that means has evolved. When I'd hear a pastor or a preacher thunder from the pulpit about these things, about being crucified with Christ, I'd typically respond by working hard to analyze idols in my life, and through self-determination, I would try to rid myself of them. Things that I enjoyed typically led to feelings of guilt, since I enjoyed something other than God, and according to what I was being told, that was a sin. And if I felt that the Bible was boring, the guilt that I'd labor under trying to read the thing would last for quite some time. I'll never forget. I was 12 years old. And I got very frank with God. And I said, look, I feel, real, feel really, really guilty for not reading the Bible. Um, I'm really sorry about that. And I can't fix this and I can't make it right. If you want me to read this thing, you're going to have to change me. I said that prayer twice. Roughly two weeks later, it was summer vacation, uh, home from school. I was bored out of my mind, simply looking for something to do, and I'd always been a reader, so I wanted to read something. So I tried reading. I must have tried reading about 30 different books, but my heart was restless. These things weren't meeting the need. And then I saw my old Bible on the shelf, and it was collecting dust, as it had been for quite some time, because you can't labor under guilt and try to grow close to God through your own strength. And that's what I'd been doing and what I'd been living under for years, and it does not work. It can't work. Relationship, real relationship, is not built upon the motivator of guilt. As Scripture says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that is the truth. And that day, God kindly came to me. He just did something in my heart I cannot describe. I picked up the Bible, I went to the New Testament, and that day I could not get enough of reading the Bible. I read the book of Matthew. The next day, I started reading Mark. Now, I had no theological training, I had no understanding of the historical context of what I was reading. But I was driven to read. I had to know the text that spoke about this being that I wanted to be close to. This is a moment for me in my life where it was God's amazing joy, mercy and grace, and He overwhelmed me. There was another time in my life when I was 26. I had no knowledge that even as a Christian, I was operating under a certain level of spiritual darkness. And over the course of a two-day time frame, he, very clearly wrecked my world, and showed me that I had believed things and done things that were wrong, and I didn't even know I had done them. And with everything he showed me, he would show me my sin and its stark reality, but then he would, without fail, every time he revealed a sin, he would then say to my heart, "You Wes, you may be guilty of selfish ambition, but I love you. And I felt, I, I emotionally and even physically seemed to feel both the weight of my sin and its darkness and then the comfort, the home, the homecoming of being told that God loved me no matter what, and that he had to call out each sin and tell me every time how much he loved me and his love won the day. He began to drown my sin, my sorrow, and my shame. There is a reason why we say that all things become shadow in the light of who he is. It is because it is true. The things that I've cared about deeply in my life, if, if they were if they were tied to my will, my selfish ambition, and me in any way, shape, or form, uh, they were feeding my selfishness. Selfishness, and in the light of God, they came out to be nothing. But in His light, I discovered I'd come home, and it was in His light that I didn't. The things that I had so had previously wanted and was so passionate about, in the light of God, they didn't matter. What God gave me in response was an incredible feast of His goodness. And that is why the Bible can say, because I'm not the only one who's experienced it, that's why the Bible can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is. The Lord is good. I was speaking to my father just a few days ago about these realities, and I discovered to my great delight and wonder that we can only deny ourselves in his light, and it is in his light that we do not miss what we had to lose. I discovered that when God said he came to give us what cannot be taken away, he told the truth. He did not lie. When you have a moment where heaven breaks in and you see reality from that perspective, it makes the things that surround us and that we've surrounded ourselves with seem to be made of paper. It's flimsy. It's not nearly as strong as we think. That reality, that understanding comes in the holy presence of the fire of God. And let me tell you, that fire will consume Everything that we bring to the table that is not of God. And once that happens, all we can say to God is, Thank you. That is exactly what I needed. This is what it means, at least in part, to be crucified with Christ. We leave behind, both gratefully and joyfully, that which cannot satisfy and cannot fill us. It is His incredible kindness that leads us to the cross where we find our forgiveness, we find our healing, and we find our freedom. And frankly, It's not what we've made it out to be. If you take a second and think about the people in your life that you've trusted, that you're in a relationship with, there's really two types of relationships out there. I'm going to paint in very broad strokes for just a moment. You're going to have relationships that are good. They are fed the right things. The relationship grows. There's mutual understanding and appreciation. It goes back and forth. But then you have relationships that are abusive. People can be emotionally and psychologically destructive. It's in those moments that you see when you have, and again, I know I'm painting in broad strokes, but when you have the good relationships versus the bad ones. In the bad relationships, that brings death, but the good relationships bring the life of the relationship. In the bad relationship, you find someone in a form of bondage. They're chained to somebody. Maybe they can't get free, but in the good relationships, we find health and freedom. And so it is with God. If your approach to God is one where you think God is up there simply trying to strip everything you enjoy out of your life, if you feel guilty for enjoying some things as if those things are somehow taking the place of God, there's a very good chance that you're believing the wrong thing. When you look at the text of scripture and it tells us that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, I have to believe that when the people who wrote these words considered these words, that they must have been stunned and amazed because their understanding of all the other would-be gods from ancient history was all of these gods demanded sacrifice. All of them demanded slavery. None of them promoted life. None of them promoted goodness. And for the most part, they all seem to be absent. Yet God has not been absent. All of creation is, as Scripture says, eagerly awaiting the revealing of the children of God. I believe creation is awaiting the revealing of the children of God in such a way that we as people, when we know who we are in Christ Jesus, when we know that in the Lord our identity is saved and sealed and that no one can take our identity away, when we learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit one day at a time, learning to let go of the things that hold us back in Him, when we learn to embrace the good things that He brings, when the pure, compelling nature of His presence causes us to love what He loves, that is what it is to be crucified with Christ. That is feeling like you're getting born again, like you're being resurrected. It is not through fear and terror and guilt that we come to a vibrant life of faith and hope and healing in Christ Jesus. It is through freedom. It is through feeling the compelling nature of his love undimmed in our hearts that we come to faith in Christ Jesus. And as someone who's experienced it, as someone who does not live it out very well day to day, but as someone who knows that it's true, I have to throw my voice into the mix one way or the other and say, the world is out there lying about God and about who he is. But I got to tell the truth. All hope comes through Jesus Christ. All mankind will one day bend the knee and it will be a day of joy and incredible salvation. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a move of God coming to the earth that is meant to transform the earth. It is going to feel like a fire, as it should. When he who keeps Israel does not slumber asleep, when this same being who visited the prophet Ezekiel by the river Chabar in Babylon comes, he comes in fire. His presence is just absolutely overwhelming. And the beautiful thing is in the glory of his light and majesty, all the baggage that I bring to the table with him is just somehow immediately obliterated. As scripture says, one day we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And it is to see him in his compelling and utterly rich presence. Just seeing him and being in his presence is enough to change someone and to immediately take them from death into life. It is enough to immediately save that person. It is enough to find our will so completely overpowered by the sheer goodness of God's love and who he is that we have no choice but to gladly bend the knee, shout our praises and claim that Christ is our Savior and then thank him for inhabiting what was the formerly dark places of our hearts. And the truth is, is that when these things happen, we can't help but tell people we are compelled to tell the truth about God in the daily courtroom of life where the accuser is constantly screaming that God is absent. God is absent minded. He is powerless. He is neutered. He's got nothing. But the accuser has lied. And part of my testimony is that, no, God is good. He tells the truth. And I know that there are a lot of people out there like me. I know I am not unusual. I know I am not unique in this. There are many of us who have been, we were born spiritually poor. But like the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those who are poor. And I got to say, that's me. And God has, God has, when the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, there's a reason why those words were recorded. It is because they bore the resonance of real observation. God is good. I don't have to have all the answers as to why there is suffering and tragedy in the world. But the great equalizer that God has given us is faith. And it is faith that always carries us back to the place where we meet God. And the place where we always meet God, whether it's in our death, in our burial, or in our resurrection, no matter what, He is there with us. Whatever you might be living in today that saps your strength. And it makes you feel like there's nothing good coming your way. Let me encourage you go to God, get on your knees to God, and cry out in desperation. And you know what? If you can't use words, don't. If all you can do is sit on the floor and groan out your grievances and your grievings, then do. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And I believe, as God is my witness, that He's going to move in the earth, He's going to heal and he's going to restore. We serve a good God. In fact, we're more than servants in his eyes. We're family members. And God knows the rest of the world needs this. You know, for a kid who was raised in church and discovered because of God his profound need for God, if you're raised in church and you have a profound need for him, how much more are the people that have never heard? Those are the people we're called to. Those are the people we're meant for. And those are the people that light a pathway that the power of God shows up on. I just can't encourage you enough. If you're out there today, please don't give up. Jesus loves you. Jesus is good. This is the truth, and the truth matters. Thank you for listening to Road to Revival. God has said we can call out to Him, and He will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Now is the time to call on His name. Join us for more podcast episodes and learn more by visiting roadtorevival.com. Here looking for revival?